Good morning. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. And there we read, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been abolished to anyone. How can you say you, you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning in your word, we ask your blessings upon it, Lord. And we ask that you guide us in the spiritual applications of the ideas of uh, freedom, liberty, rights, and independence, Lord. So we lift this time in Jesus' name. Amen. The deliberations of the Constitutional Convention of 1787 were held in strict secrecy. Consequently, anxious citizens gathered outside Independence Hall when the proceedings ended in order to learn what had been produced behind closed doors. The answer was provided immediately. A Mrs. Powell of Philadelphia asked Benjamin Franklin, well, doctor, what have we got, a republic or a monarchy? With no hesitation whatsoever, Franklin responded, a republic if you can keep it. John Adams delivered a speech in October of 1798 to the Massachusetts militia stating, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. What these men were saying is the longevity of the nation was dependent on the integrity of the people, both the leaders and the public. The constitution and the rights therein would last only as long as a moral people were willing to uphold them and respect them as law. Yesterday we celebrated a national holiday, probably the most important national holiday of all. No, it's not called the 4th of July, it's called Independence Day. So what is Independence Day? It honors the date of July 4th, 1776, when representatives from the 13 British colonies ratified the wording of the Declaration of Independence. So what was declared? It stated the 13 colonies rejected being under the sovereignty of the British crown, represented by King George III. It stated a severing, a rejection of the former relationship and the start of something new, a rebirth, if you will. New political concepts were introduced of freedom, liberty, rights, and independence. We need to remember the world was pretty much ruled by royalty in this period, so the idea of the individual having guaranteed rights was rare. Never before heard statements like, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter, alter or to abolish it and to institute new government. It is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. 
The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. It then goes on to outline numerous actions committed by the king as being causes for this separation. Then they close, we therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, <clears throat> do in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. And this document was signed by 56 men from all 13 colonies, men like Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, John Hancock, Roger Sherman, Samuel Adams, and John Adams. Now in light of these events and concepts that we celebrate, the question for us as Christians is how do these concepts of freedom liberty, rights, and independence apply to us, not in a political sense, but in a spiritual sense. Do we have Christian freedom and liberty? Do we have Christian rights? Do we have Christian independence? Our national freedom began with a declaration. Now the Merriam-Webster definition of declaration is the formal announcement of the beginning of a state or condition. The word beginning is key because it implies a change has been made. The Declaration of Independence was forged by the Founding Fathers, a proclamation, a statement that proclaimed freedom and rejected a tyrant. Consequently, a war, a major conflict began. Tyrants don't give up easily. So the statement did not end a war, but initiated one. And as the war progressed, the declaration and what it professed were the focal point of every soldier and Minuteman who took up arms. It is what they carried in their hearts when entering battle in an attempt to make manifest its promises. Now it took six years from 1775 to 1781 before they would see its fulfillment. For six years, they went into battle with only a declaration, a declaration that didn't seem to be happening. In fact, at times, seemed to be hopeless. As a ragtag Continental Army and civilian militias went up against the military superpower of that time, Great Britain. So even though a declaration had been made, and this is essential to remember, things still looked the same. Nothing appeared to have changed. The situation appeared to be the same as before the declaration. The political, the political situation had not changed. The king was still as powerful as ever. In addition, his troops were still very much present. Well, this is how the kingdom of God functions in fulfilling salvation in a man or woman. First, a declaration is made. And what is that declaration? A declaration is made by the individual that the word of God is truth, being revealed by the Holy Spirit. The declaration also includes a true spiritual assessment of that individual, that they are a sinner guilty before God. The need of a savior is also declared. Remember the definition of declaration, the formal announcement of the beginning of a state or condition. A change is taking place. 
In the Christian's case, a spiritual change is being declared. And just like the colonists were severing ties to the old ruler, the old relationship, the king, Christians sever their ties to their old ruler, their old relationship, which is sin. We declare what is unseen. We declare what is in our hearts, not what is seen. 2 Corinthians 4.18 states, we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen or not seen are eternal. And regardless of the appearance of things, even though the world around us appears unchanged, just as it did to the colonists, they made their declaration, but their physical situation had not changed. The same holds true for us spiritually. We continue to make our declaration, even though current physical events, the world around us, appears to be unchanged. We carry it with us, the truth that has been revealed to us. Why? Because we know it shall be fulfilled. So in light of this declaration, let's look at the fruits of it, the first being freedom or liberty. Jesus himself says in John 8:36, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. However, what naturally arises when speaking of freedom is a question, freedom from what? This is what the Jews asked Jesus. How are you saying we shall be made free? To have freedom, there must be something from which we are freed. First, we have the definition of freedom, the quality or state of being exempt or released from something onerous, from something burdensome. So what is this burden? We say we live in a free country. We enjoy freedom of speech and of religion, the freedom of the press and freedom to bear arms, though it, though it seems we are losing a little of these every day. Today, many assume that freedom means getting to do whatever we want. Any restrictions on our behavior, whether from the state, the church, or some other person, violate our perceived freedom. However, for many, freedom above all means the freedom to sin. But according to the Bible, this is the opposite of freedom. Sin has nothing to do with liberty. Sin destroys freedom. Sin enslaves. Jesus himself says in John 8, 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The colonists faced a tyrant, King George III. We also face tyrants, spiritual tyrants, sin and Satan. George had all intentions of retaining dominion over the colonies. He sent his soldiers to enforce his will. He was not giving them freedom without a fight. Sin and Satan have also done their best to, to retain control of us. They also do not give up willingly without a fight. Now the Apostle Paul also talks about how sin turns us into slaves in Romans 6.16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Now one may ask, what is the difference between being a slave to sin and a slave to righteousness? I'm still a slave. Well, there's a huge difference. In reality, we are all slaves, either to sin or to righteousness. We all have a master. We are all under the dominion of one of two kingdoms. The freedom of the Christian has 
is the, the freedom the Christian has is freedom from sin's dominion and the law's condemnation. Now, if we are honest, we can see this truth in life experience. An alcoholic may want to be free to get drunk. A drug addict may demand his liberty to take drugs. But alcoholics and drug addicts are not free, are they? Their appetites enslave them. The sinner may truly want to stop doing what he has been doing, but he cannot. He is a slave to it. This is true with all sin. Though we might learn to control our worst impulses through external constraints, whether of shame, fear of discovery, or self-discipline, sin continues to lurk deep inside. It's still there. We, we try to exert our willpower, but what if the problem is precisely with our will? Matthew, Martin Luther wrote a book entitled The Bondage of the Will. His point was that our will is in bondage to sin. What we want to do if we give in to our deepest desires is to sin. Morally and spiritually, we are slaves to sin. Sounds pretty bleak, doesn't it? However, there is good news. After Jesus talked about how sinners are enslaved, he gives the good news in John 8:36. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus, through the power of his sacrificial death and resurrection, frees sinners from that bondage of sin. By the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel, we are set free. His death paid the debt we owed. His death paid the price for our freedom. The result, we voluntarily, willingly do God's will, not out of compulsion or threats, but because we really desire to please him. We are slaves to righteousness because it is what we desire to obey. Now the Bible exalts freedom. Galatians 5.1, Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Notice he, says there, notice he says that Christ has set us free for freedom. Freedom is an end in, in itself. Furthermore, freedom is a sign of the Holy Spirit's presence. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So with our souls converted, what of our bodies, the flesh? Well, even though in July 1776, a declaration was made in the name of the colonies, not all agreed with it. Some wanted separation from the king and others did not. Those who wanted an end to the relationship were called patriots. Those who wanted to remain were called Tories or loyalists. So there was a division, an internal battle within the colonies. This was also true with the Israelites some wanted to leave Egypt and others wanted to remain. Now the same applies to us in a spiritual sense. Our souls through the work of the Holy Spirit have made a declaration of independence, a separation. But guess what? Our flesh wants to remain loyal to the tyrant. So are we totally free from the temptation of sin? No, our redeemed souls still reside in the flesh. So we will still struggle with sin. There will be an internal, inter, internal battle between our souls and our flesh. So what, what exactly are we free from? The freedom the Christian has is from sin. We no longer are in that bondage. 
no longer in slavery to it. It has been cast off. Those who are in Christ have him as their master now, and their obedience to him leads to righteousness and life. So what rights or promises does our spiritual declaration of independence in Christ provide us? The 1776 declaration stated, they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They also had a right to replace their government. But what rights or promises are we given upon entry into the kingdom of God? A definition of promise. A promise is a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or that guarantees that a particular thing will happen. So a promise is of no more value than is the ability and honor of the one who makes it. This means a promise is only as good as an individual's integrity. We are all accustomed to the promises of men. We are also accustomed to seeing the promises of men made and broken. There are many reasons why this is true. Sometimes we forget, sometimes we are negligent, sometimes it may be due to circumstances beyond our control. But what about the promises of God? How certain are they? Well, God makes seven promises to his children. And we'll look at these seven and, and provide a couple of verses to, to support this. Number one is the promise of pardon. God has promised that his grace is sufficient for us. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Acts 2.38-39, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you and your children, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. Number two, the promise of salvation. God has promised that those who believe in Jesus will be saved. Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And Hebrews 7, 25, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Number three is the promise of his eternal presence. God has promised that he will be with us always. Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In Deuteronomy 31, 6, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Number four, the promise of provision. He promises to supply every need we have. Philippians 4.19, God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now notice God has obligated himself only to the extent of our needs. It would not include many luxuries that we have come to think of as needs. Uh, number five, the promise of perseverance. God has promised that his children will not be overtaken with temptation. Instead, he assures us that a way of escape will be provided. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape and you may be able to bear it. 
in Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Number six is the promise of power over death. God has promised us victory over death. 2 Corinthians 15, 57, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Sin gives death its sting and God's standards give sin its power. Thank God that he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, number seven, the promise of eternity. God has promised his people eternal life. In John 10, 27 and 28, <clears throat> my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. So seven promises or rights given to his children which are unlike man's promises. They are guaranteed because God keeps his word. And finally, what of independence? We like to think of ourselves as such. We like to think that we are our, our, we are our own man or woman, but is it true? But the question is, not is if, the question is not if we have independence, but from what? So the answer is both yes and no. First off, the scriptures never say we are ever independent. That idea comes from man's pride of wanting to be our own gods. Let's look at life. Are we independent from our spouses? Are children independent from their parents? Are we independent from our employers? The answer is no, we're all dependent on someone. Now what of the Christian? Christians are dependent upon one another and of course, totally dependent on God. Romans 6.14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. To not be under the law means we are not under the old covenant, an era of disobedience. Though there were exceptions, the history of God's people before Christ was defined mostly by law-breaking and faithlessness in Israel. Though new covenant, no, though new covenant believers sin, our era is characterized by God's grace and empowering spirit. In the new covenant, the gospel converts the heart and they willingly serve the Lord, unlike Israel, who was always murmuring or grumbling. Paul says in Romans 6:18, and having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Our freedom was purchased, a price was paid. In Jesus, we are no longer under the law but that does not mean lawlessness. John Calvin comments when he says, we are not freed from the bondage of the law that we may sin, for the law does not lose its dominion until the grace of God restores us to him in order to renew us in righteousness. And it is thereby impossible that we should be subject to sin when the grace of God reigns in us. In fact, to claim independence from God is a sin for we are all dependent upon God, believer and unbeliever. He has dominion over all. To say I am independent from God is to say I have no need for God, nor want to be connected to him in any way. It is rejection. And with that independence from sin, we have true freedom. We can choose to sin, but the difference we now have is the ability to reject it. Since we have this freedom, these rights, this independence from sin, what do we do in the meantime? 
until the declaration is completed in us. Well, just as the continental soldiers stood their ground against the British, so do we need to hold fast against sin. And guess what? The more we, the more we resist sin, the more success we have and the weaker it gets. Paul says in Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Excuse me a minute. <clears throat> the enemy is already defeated. It is no longer the tyrant reigning over us. However, the unsaved do not have that ability. Sin is still their tyrant. And this is all due to the revolution of Christ's victory on the cross. One last definition, and that's the definition of revolution. A sudden, radical, complete change, a fundamental change in organization, especially the overthrow or renunciation of one government or ruler and the replacement with another. Now, isn't that the definition of a Christian conversion? Let's reread that definition. A sudden, radical, complete change, a fundamental change in organization, and especially the overthrow or renunciation of one government or ruler and the replacement with another. Christ's revolution made possible a radical, complete change in the spiritual state of the Christian, a fundamental change. And just like the American Revolution overthrew a physical tyrant, Christ's revolution overthrew the spiritual tyrants of sin and Satan. In closing, our National Independence Day is July 4th. However, it took a number of years to defeat that tyrant. Our spiritual Independence Day is the day Christ died on the cross. But unlike George III, our spiritual tyrant was defeated that same day. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, as we remember the um, sacrifice and the, uh, the concepts that were instilled in us in this nation in 1776, Lord, may we also keep in mind the, the spiritual qualities that we have attained through entering your kingdom, Lord. M may you always remind us of the great sacrifice of your son that made all of this possible. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.